This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Myself, David Law, part of the BBC Radio 5 live commentary team, alongside Catherine Whitaker, of course, who's here for Eurosport. And once again, we come to you from the radio room. This is our new favourite place, isn't it, Catherine? Because we get to watch while... Roger Federer is playing against Misha Zverev. He's two sets to love up, 6-1-7-5, two games all as we speak to you. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he's looking all right. What do you think? There were 12 minutes in that first set where he was looking an awful lot more than all right. It looked like it was going to be a sub-15-minute first set. And good on Misha Zverev for, for putting the ghosts of the 6-love, six 6-love six in Haller a couple of years ago behind him and, and managing to get a game on the board. And subsequently for making if not quite a match of it, but certainly making it competitive. He could have faded and certainly mentally capitulated. Um, I've no idea how you take to the court against somebody you've lost love and love to. Um, maybe you just think, well, <laughs> things can only get better. Um, but yeah, gosh, Roger Federer looked, he looked like a predator stalking his prey he was doing that stalking round the back of the court the you know the peacock feathers of of I'm back where I belong and poor Misha Zverev is just unfortunate enough to be his prey tonight he is uh, I, I can't say strongly enough how much respect I have for Zverev at the start of that th- second set having lost basically six love six love six one in an hour the three previous sets that he played against Roger Federer, and he still kept coming. He still kept believing, and he went three-one up, and he was causing Federer a few problems. He ended up losing that set seven-five. But I, I, I just, you know, can't say enough how how much he impresses me as a, as a as a player, competitor, human being. He seems like a top guy. Anyway, does look like Roger Federer is going through. We have got treats galore for you on the tennis podcast today because uh, Catherine. 
and myself. We've both been speaking to Andy Roddick today, and uh, we're going to play Catherine's interview for Eurosport with Andy Roddick on a day that he was uh, inducted into the International Hall of Fame. We've also uh, got Martina Navratilova in a conversation that I had with her. Uh, my interview wins this time, Catherine, on that particular occasion. We're going to have that one for you. But, Catherine, today we've had Venus Williams, who isn't getting as much publicity, perhaps, as Roger Federer at the age of 35, but she deserves it. 36 now, into the semi-finals, and she swept aside Anastasia Pavlichenkova today. Yeah, certainly on paper, her biggest test of the tournament. It's being pointed out a lot that she has had, on paper, a relatively easy run of things up to this stage, but it means relatively little doesn't it and uh, yeah we've we've been talking now for 10 days about how wonderful it is that she gets the respect that she deserves and 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 now it's not just she's showing that it's not just sort of a sentimental thing it's a she she still has a meaningful part to play in women's tennis and suddenly suddenly we're talking about a Serena Venus final a Rafa um, Roger final and it's like a time warp to 2004 <laughs> it is actually that was one of the things Andy Roddick said to me he's like we're going to party like it's 1969 <laughs> he goes anyway um, I've just got to break off very quickly to just tell you I mean I know you would have seen this all of you lot before but Roger Federer's just won a point after hitting two backhand lobs in the same point and he both of them hit the baseline he obviously said to himself in the mirror before preparing for this match, how can I beat that round-the-net post single-handed backhand winner from two nights ago? Oh, he's managed it. How about that? So the opponent of uh, Venus Williams is going to be Coco Vandeweghe in an All-American semi-final. That is a big shock on paper, isn't it? I mean, this is a woman who's 35 in the world. She'd been to one Grand Slam quarterfinal before on grass at Wimbledon, and she demolished... Muguruza, my pick for the title, my pick for world number one. And I mean, you know, quite happy to hold my hands up there. I did not see that coming. And she was just dismissive of Muguruza's game. I, I've never seen Vanderwey play like that before. No, my call time to, for work today was to be here by the end of that match. Uh, and I was sitting oh, that's why you ran sort of an eight-course lunch in front of me. Uh, towards the end of that first set thinking this is going to be a lovely, (laughs) lovely lazy lunch. I'll start with my chicken wings and then take it from there. And sort of one chicken wing down, (laughs) the demolition began and suddenly that second set was was slipping away from us all all too quickly and uh, I was in a sprint down uh, Batman Avenue. So... Yeah, Batman Avenue. Well, I know you're supposed to say Batman, because no, I'm just, I'm just sort of. Uh, there's a lot of people here uh, listening to this podcast that will never have heard of a road called Batman Avenue, well, but that's, that's a real road, isn't it? Well, aren't we sat in the Batman room right now? Well, no, the media centre is the Batman. Room. You're supposed to say Batman because it's named after a somebody. In I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call an it Batman. Australian man called some something Batman, but obviously it's Batman Avenue. So you ran down Batman Avenue like a caped crusader yourself, having to go double yeah. quick time to get here for the end of the match. Yeah, Cape Crusader rescuing sports coverage on TV for, for everyone in the UK. Um, I'm sure the tournament would have fallen apart at the seams had I not made it here. But yeah, that second set was an absolute 
I, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, I literally don't know what happened because I was in a sprint down the street at the time. But I presume what happened was much like what happened in the first set, but even more so. Which she was, was teeing off. She was just teeing off. I mean, it's it's low, low percentage tennis, but if you're on, it's unplayable. So I think Venus just has to step on the court and say, well, if she does that against me or against anyone, I'm going to lose. But the chances of her doing that again are probably slim because it's so low percentage but you probably would have said that after the Kerber match and she's just strung it together twice in a row so who knows and I don't you know one of the significant factors in any match involving Serena and Vilas is the intimidation factor and I'm not sure Coco van der is going to care one jot about how intimidating her opponent is she's the most confident woman on a tennis court I have ever seen yeah she, it's it's quite interesting I mean in any case, because of the, the the situation of Venus Williams being 36 years of age and having been around for 20 years and there's all that nostalgia, there's going to be huge support for her anyway. I would say, I don't think Coco van der Wey is everybody's cup of tea, to be quite honest. I mean, personally, I have enormous respect for somebody who's able to just go out there and say, to, I don't care if I'm popular. I'm just going to go out and take my game to people. But she is so full of confidence and actually we had Andrea Lavachkova on Five Live uh, Sports Extra earlier today the the doubles player who said who was describing confidence and she said personally you know somebody like Karolina Pliskova could be walking around with that overt confidence that Vanderwey walks around with and takes the court with but she doesn't she says it's not really the Czech way she says personally I'm not a big fan of that kind of thing it's not everybody's cup of tea, but she's there on merit. I mean, it's it's been some run. She said, I, I, I suspect she's not the most popular with everybody in the locker room. You know, I suspect her attitude doesn't necessarily gain her the most admirers amongst her peers. I don't know that for sure, but, you know, it, it, it can look abrasive, her behaviour, I think, on court. You know, her, her reaction... Her victory celebration after beating Kerber, I think, was a, a little bit abrasive. Shoulder shrug, Michael Jordan style. Well, yeah, exactly. But it's just, she she doesn't care, does she? She doesn't care that we're talking about her being a slightly abrasive uh, Marmite-type character. So, you know. I reckon she probably quite enjoys it. Anyway, so she's through semi-final against Venus Williams. We know the first men's semi-finalist as well. It's Stan Wawrinka. He fell out a little bit with Joe Wilfred Songer at the end of the first set. It was all very close, tie-break set. Suddenly they sat down and started exchanging words about who was staring at who. He heard your demands for more aggro. on the crazy. He heard the podcast last night about how cosy it all is, David. That's what happened. And, and those two lovely gentlemen went out there and thought, let's have some aggro. I know, I'm quite proud, actually. Quite proud of them and of the podcast for, for leading to that scenario. That's, that's my take on it, anyway. Um, Stan Varinka looks dangerous, doesn't he? I mean, you know, I still think there's, there's a decent chance that against Federer, Federer can take his time away and also inhibit him a little bit. It's possible. Although they, they fell out, of course, at the O2. I mean, that's how we could have some more. Yeah, well, Stan's had quite a controversial tournament, hasn't he, all things considered, with today and what happened in, in the first round with his body shot against Martin Clijan. Um I, I can tell you Pat Cash thinks he's winning the title. He thinks he's going to beat Federer in the semis and he's going to go on and win the title. I still dispute, David, that he is the bookie's favourite for the title. I produced 
undeniable photographic evidence to the contrary yesterday, which I stand by. Um, I, I, for me, Federer would be the favourite going into that one for all the reasons you said, taking taking the time away, the big swings, um, the fact that that match will almost certainly be at night again. And uh, as discussed on last night's podcast, Federer has had, well, he plays better under the lights and has had significantly more experience under the lights at this tournament thus far. That's all assuming that... Uh... Sorry, which Pat Cash also thinks is is unfair. He agrees with you. Good, I'm glad. Everybody should agree with me. Uh, that's all assuming that Roger Federer, of course, gets there. He is two sets to love up. He's four to up and he's got break to break point for five to. So it does look like that. That's going to happen. Now, we mentioned, didn't we, we've got Andy Roddick on today. He has been inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. So he was here for a wonderful ceremony. And all the great champions of the past. Kim Kleist is also inducted as well, unable to join uh, the party today because of the fact uh, that she's, she's recently given birth to a, a little boy and he was too young to travel and she didn't want to obviously be away from him. But Andy Roddick was here and he spoke to Catherine. Well, Andy, many, many congratulations first and foremost on your induction into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. I know you're a great historian of the sport. You really appreciate the significance of that. Tell me what it means to you. Uh, it's, it's surreal. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you, you know, everyone's going to give you the stock answer on, on how much it means to them. Um, for me, I, I, I was anything but a shoo-in. Um, you know, I'm not Roger, I'm not Rafa, I'm not Venus and Serena where it's just a matter of years passing. Um, so to get that call, um, you know, especially knowing that it, it comes from, it's voted on by other Hall of Famers and other, uh, respected journalists who you've spent time with, uh, that's why it meant a lot to me. Um, the respect of peers was was, uh, was kind of paramount. You have to be retired for five years to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. It's amazing to think that you've been away from the game for five years, and yet somebody younger than you, one of your greatest rivals, Roger Federer, is still out there doing what he's doing. Yeah. Talk to me about your impressions of, of him so far this tournament. Yeah, I've, uh, I learned a long time ago not to be surprised by Roger Federer <laughs> or anything he, he's capable of. Um, it, it's it's amazing, and you know the the joy he still gets from it is is insane. You know he he talked about I was reading his his first match in Perth. And he was talking about jittery going down there and like the bill. I mean it's just it's just great to see. Um, you know time is time is undefeated, um, but he's uh, he's putting up a pretty good fight against it. <laughs> Does this kind of feel like a bit of a throwback tournament? A lot of people talking about the different conditions this year, the different balls. Do you think you know almost the the fates are conspiring to create this throwback Australian Open? We've got Serena and Venus and Roger and Rafa. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I've always been a huge fan of, of of different conditions. I don't know that we should play similar conditions, similar ball speed, similar across 12 months. I, I like the variation. It, it, it allows for a roll of the dice sometimes. As you saw Zverev and, and Murray or Istomin and Djokovic, where someone can really be aggressive, kind of flatline and just play in, insane risk tennis and, and have it come up come up good. Um, you know, I, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure Roger wasn't too disappointed when he got here and hit for the first time, though. <laughs> Roger Rafa is still in the draw. Everyone is already thinking about the mere prospect of a Roger Rafa final. What would that be for tennis? Well, I, I think it could be the most historically significant match ever. Um, if you think about where they're at as far as 17 and 14, let's say Rafa walks off a winner in that matchup. 17-15 with the French Open around the corner, he's back in the game. He's back in the conversation. Um, you know, Roger wins. It's eighteen fourteen. I don't know that there's enough time to, to make up that difference, and he's probably gonna, you know, sit on that uh, that record for for a long time. So it's it's uh, it's fascinating. Um, I know the tennis world would want to just reach out and give that matchup a big hug, 
Um, and, and also when, when they're playing their best. Finals of a Grand Slam, you know, they, they might end up playing in round of 16s when, you know, they're at the tail end of their careers, and that'll be great too. But in form, playing well, a bit of a throwback, uh, it, it'd be amazing, especially when, you know, I was certainly part of the conversation, when there were questions on if we'd, we'd ever see them in prime form again against each other. Rafa's next test, obviously, Milos Raonic. I'm guessing you understand his game pretty well. Big guy, big sure. serve. Talk to me a little bit about him, whether you think he's a real contender here. Oh, he's certainly a contender. I mean, he's beaten everyone. And the thing I love about uh, Milos is, is how professional he is. Um, he, he looks like he expects to be there. You know, it's not, he doesn't go insane with shock and surprised faces when he wins big matches. It's, it's, he thinks he's going to win a slam. Um, you know, I, I think he'll, he'll win a slam. I mean, that, that, that weaponry and, and what he's able to do and improving on his game and hiring different people to get different opinions, constantly adjusting. Uh, I think it's a tough matchup for Rafa, especially on, on, on fast courts. Um, you know, Milos can take the racket out of his hand sometimes with that serve. So uh, I know we all want to get to Rafa and Roger, but, you know, the, the highest-ranked player left in this draw is, is Rayonich. Just finally, before I push you for a prediction on the men's side, I have to ask you about Serena Venus and Coco Vandeweghe holding things up for the American women. How about them? It's nuts to say. I think Coco's played the best of anyone this far in the tournament. Um, you know, and uh, with Venus, I mean, getting to the semis after 14 years, I mean, just the persistence and... When she was 70 in the world and having uh, you know, autoimmune problems and everything, I, don't, I didn't think she would ever be at the business end of a slam again. And you know, she, she loves it, and she's out there doing it. And it's just it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, the, it, 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 this, this tournament's proof of why these people are icons and legends of the sport, whether it's Roger and Rafa or Venus and Serena. We expect it from Serena still. But, um, you know, they're... they're there's a reason they have certain definitions next to their names and it, it, it's coming up uh, this event finally then I'm going to push you you're a punchy guy I'm going to get a punchy answer from you I hope who, who's winning the two titles here gosh it's so tough uh, I mean I, I don't think I, I think any tournament Serena goes into I'm, I'm happy uh, choosing her I, I'd be lying if I said I could say anyone on the men's side with, with confidence I think uh, it all depends on matchups. You know, if, if Roger gets Raonic in the final, I actually like him because I think that's a good matchup for him. And I've seen that matchup a lot of, uh, or a very similar matchup a lot of times. Um, you know, Roger can be playing great. We've seen it before, but the matchup with Rafa, whatever what Rafa does well, bothers Roger more than what anyone else does well against him. Um, so. Roger can be playing great, but it doesn't change the matchup, especially if Rafa's in prime form. I haven't seen Rafa this good in three years. Um, you know, even maybe two years when he won the French Open last. But I mean, he's he's playing with a belief system right now that was hasn't been in the last year and a half. He looks like he looks like vintage Nadal. So that matchup hasn't changed. I, I, if Rafa gets through Milos, which I think is a tall ask, it, it's all based on matchups. And you're asking me to predict a matchup, but uh, I like Roger if he doesn't have to play Rafa. Uh, I like uh, Rafa if he if he doesn't lose to Milos. A true throwback Australian Open. Andy, thanks for your thoughts and congratulations. Enjoy your moment later today. So that's uh, Catherine with Andy Roddick. Lovely to speak to him, wasn't it? I'd love to chat to you more about it, Catherine, but the match is about to end and TV World is calling Catherine Whitaker to Eurosport. She's got to go live, everybody, so I'm going to have to find somebody else to talk to for the rest of the podcast. Thanks, Catherine. Go and have a good time. I've got to go, I've got to go and sprint somewhere again. OK, well, I'll, I'll find someone else to talk to in the podcast. You have a good uh, broadcast on live television on Eurosport. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, yeah, Catherine's gone off to TV land, so we can't talk to her for the rest of the podcast. The good news is we've got somebody far better, far better. And Catherine is going to be so jealous because she's always wants to be on the podcast when Chris Clary's on. And Chris is here. How are you doing, Chris? I don't think it's an upgrade, but we'll do it. We'll go for it. <laughs> uh, we've just uh, had Roger Federer's match finish. He's through to the semifinals. He's just on his press conference. I've just seen you in the corridor having a little chat to him. He couldn't be more relaxed. I mean, that's what he's like anyway, isn't it? But, I mean, he's just so, so chilled out. And, and, and it, it struck me that in his on-court interview when he's saying, you know, I thought I might win a few matches, but I didn't expect to be here. It's, it's like he's playing with House's money right now. It's true. I, I mean, Roger, I think even when he's been playing week to week, is, is still pretty chill for an all-time great champion compared to people I've covered over the years. You know, no doubt the stress level is lower and you can feel that. But here, I think it's been a six-month break. I think he really missed all this. He even missed us a little bit, which is, you know, kind of insane for a top-level athlete to actually miss the interchange with the press. But you can feel it. Like tonight in the press conference, he's taking extra questions and sensing there wasn't quite enough on the match to come, already asked. So he took a couple more about that. So it's just, you know, it's a pleasure to be around it. This has been a fantastic tournament, David. So many great stories. That's what I was just talking with Roger about, actually, just saying, you know, you know, there's there's really not a bad story from a journalistic perspective that's left in this tournament. Anybody who wins, it's a, it's a fun tale to tell. No, it, it really is. And I mean, we, we've just had in, earlier in the podcast Andy Roddick talking about how, for him, if if it came to pass that we had Nadal and Federer in, in the final, that it would be statistically and significantly perhaps the most important Australian Open final there's ever been, maybe even Grand Slam match that there's ever been because of what's on the line in terms of history 
Yeah, he made the interesting point about what if Nadal were to win and you narrow that gap in the all-time um, you know, rates for the all-time Grand Slams. I don't know about the greatest in Grand Slam history, but it would certainly be a fantastic final to have, spark great interest. Although part of me, I have to admit, much as I am a traditionalist and much as I've enjoyed covering Nadal and Federer, wouldn't mind to see an interloper kind of come through here and take the reins and really show something. Be good to have at least one of them in there. Yeah, Goran Ivanisevic certainly thinks that that will happen. He he said that he could see around it, or a Dimitrov or somebody like that breaking through this time. What are you, what are your feelings right now with Vavrinka Federer guaranteed and the other semi still to be decided? You know, it's interesting. I mean, on the other side, obviously Nadal's the only guy that's that's won a, a Grand Slam who's there, and um, but the court's playing relatively quick, you know, as Roger's been saying throughout the week, but seems to be a fair surface. But I would think that's going to be a little tricky for Nadal under great pressure to be able to organize himself, maybe best of five and really handle big power coming at him real top level. But, you know, it's uh, it's really an unusual tournament in many respects. We've seen a huge surprises. Um, Rafa and Roger are both so fresh in their heads, you can feel it. So motivated, so much talent, obviously, so much experience. But then you got guys like Milos who've laid a great base down in the last year, year and a half of experience in big matches. And um, then you got some outliers like Dimitrov, who we know has the talent to do a lot and really hasn't done it yet. Um, so I, I think it's it's tough to say that um, it'll be a huge surprise. It's hard to see like a Gofan getting through or somebody like that. But I definitely could see the guys that have kind of earned the moment, like a, like a Raonic breaking through and doing something special here. It'll be very interesting to follow. On the women's side today, Venus Williams, victorious, an amazing story in her own right, 36 years of age into the semis. And another interesting story is the rise of Coco Vanderway. For me, pretty much out of the blue. What, what, what's your view as somebody who's obviously followed her career? Yeah, I'm not sure rise or like a you know, rocket ride is more like it, huh? I mean, she'd won three out of ten matches coming in here. You don't count the Hopman Cup because it was an exhibition. She played pretty well there, but... You know, tour-level matches, she was you know 3-7 and seven coming in. Had a horrible, by her own admission, end of the season last year where she was really just kind of lost at sea. So, frankly, this is really coming out of the blue. Um, maybe the court speed helps a lot. I think something really clicked in in the match she played against uh, Bouchard in that third set. Started to really find her range. And the last two matches, David, I mean, I've watched Coco play a fair bit and always have moments like these in matches where she has uh, you know real power moments where she's controlling the flow of play and can serve great. But this kind of level under pressure to blow through two good players. Yeah, Kerber's not the Kerber she was at maybe her peak last year, but still straight sets. And today, Muguruza was not even moving for some of these balls. In a match, she was motivated to play. The ball, she was in times unplayable. And just the raw power, easy power, plus the big serve. Um, I mean, Coco's always had the body language of a champion. So I look pretty <laughs> confident out there, even when she even when she lost. So... It's fun to see, you know, that kind of uh, confidence being rewarded here. But her level's a little scary, actually. Well, what's she like? It's going to be an interesting battle, isn't it? Because, I mean, Venus is always going to have a big backing, isn't she? Sentimental favorite and so forth. But what is Coco like to deal with? You know, I'm not a Coco expert. I talked to her today for quite a while, 15 minutes or so, in an interview with her one-on-one. She comes from the same town that I come from. She's from San Diego. Um, she's from the northern suburbs of San Diego, which is a very... You know, pleasant town, and got to see a lot of good high-level WTA tennis because of her uh, the Lacosta tournament that used to be there for the WTA. But she's, I think, a really interesting mix of kind of chill and cocky. I mean, she was just sort of a bit of both, and I think she's unique. The sporting pedigree there as well, isn't it, in her family? 
Absolutely. And that's important, I think, to tell that story. I mean, the Vandaway family may not be superstars in terms of U.S. sports culture, but they're stars. And her uncle, Kiki, was somebody, anybody who was a sports fan would remember from his basketball days in college, UCLA, and also the NBA. So I think you grew up with that in that house. It gives you a certain level of confidence and also a certain level of obligation to be successful as an athlete. Who's going to win that one, do you think? Oh, God. You know, you have to do that David, on this podcast. It's a good thing you can't rewind these podcasts too much because, let me tell you, I don't think I've got one right on your show ever. So I think whatever I say, just take the opposite of it. So what's your- <laughs> I'm actually going to go with Coco, believe it or not. Wow, that's interesting. The other one is Serena Williams certainly trying to earn a place in the semifinals. Serena Williams, the, the match of the day tomorrow from our perspective, British audiences, Serena Williams against uh, Johanna Konta. We had opportunity to speak to Martina Navratilova. I asked Martina what she's made of Johanna Konta so far. Johanna's playing great, not just very well. Uh, she's uh, she just keeps improving, you know. And, and and with her, as I've said before, it's been a long-term process for her. She's not going for the ranking now. She's thinking long-term, and now the long-term has happened. And uh, she just keeps improving. I mean, her serve, she, it's hard to pick. She mixes it up. She obviously has a game plan. She knows what she wants to do on every shot. She commits to it. She's really cleaned up her middle game where she doesn't make those uh, silly errors or unforced errors. So she's moving better. I mean, everything's better. So very impressive. So what do you think? It's all about the head now. The game is there uh, to, to beat, I think, anybody. But it's, it's, hard to, it's a big ask when you've never played Serena Williams to beat her at a Grand Slam quarterfinal. But uh, you never know. I mean, uh, she's got the game to, to beat anybody, in my opinion. What does she need to do in the match, do you think, to, to be successful? She needs to have that game plan follow it and believe in it and commit on every shot. Uh, if you have doubts then Serena is your life so you have to know what you want to do and then be brave enough to do it. Uh, and then maybe you still lose but at least uh, you know, be clear about your intentions uh, because if you have any doubts uh, there's no room for that. Just a word on Andy Murray. He's obviously world number one. He lost last night. You know what it's like being number one. Do you think that that made any difference at all, or was this just a one-off? I think it's a one-off. I think it's a combination of a Misha Zverev playing a completely different game from everybody else. Faster balls, faster court, all of that. But also, you cannot exclude the last six months of Andy's life. Uh, maybe just too, too much too soon, you know, with the off-season being this short. He gave so much of himself uh, since winning Wimbledon and the Olympics and uh, and then the number one ranking on the line in the very last match of the year. That's a lot of emotional and mental energy. So I'm sure that he'll... Because he just didn't look happy the whole tournament. She was yap, he was yapping at this boxing when things were going well. So uh, I think it's just uh, mental tiredness and I'm sure he'll slap out of it. So you think he'll regroup and... Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Martina, Chris, is clearly a believer in Johanna Conta. She's not necessarily thinking that that'll be enough to win the match because Serena Williams is Serena Williams. But what do you think? You know, the funny thing is I think most times when almost all the time when I watch Serena go into a big match, I go, it's all about Serena. But this time I'm not so sure because when you look at Conta's top level, which has been very top in this tournament, I think it's a lot, to her, a lot down to her too. I think if she plays that way, if she can sort of – I love the way she talks about the game right now. It's all very straightforward, logical, and uh, strong mentally. If she really comes out in the court and plays with that attitude, takes it point by point, and plays her best tennis, I think it's up to her, too. And she can really hurt Serena. The height she's got allows you know, the, the big serves and the kick serves not to be as damaging. 
She takes the ball early. She moves the ball well. She's very, a very you know, compact sort of game coming forward. A lot of places on the court she could hurt Serena. So Serena's got to play really, really well, I think. And that, that is the thing, isn't it? Because um, we looked at the draw for Contra at the start of the tournament and she, she got Osaka round two but, and then Wozniacki round three, maybe Civil Cove round four. That one didn't end up coming to pass. And then Serena quarterfinals. We were like, oh, this, you know, if she hadn't got a nightmare draw, she'd have a chance. Suddenly here she is against Serena and you, it feels almost 50-50. Um, I, I would still make Serena favorite because I don't see really how you can't make Serena Williams favorite in a tennis match but you know it's not beyond the realms that Conta wins this tournament no it's not I, I wouldn't put a 50-50 I think I'm, I'm more on the 60-40 range for Serena still just based on I mean Serena has, has played pretty tough uh, tough drought coming in here done pretty well under pressure um, and she, she's done this a million times and she wants this and she's pretty fresh but, yeah, I agree. Joe, Joe could certainly win it. It's amazing to say, isn't it? Usually when Murray loses, the British press <laughs> packs their bags and they're done. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been, uh, you've been talking about the freshness of Nadal and, and Federer here. Isn't it funny the way things turn? And suddenly Djokovic and Murray just look a little jaded. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, Murray, I think I picked him to win here just because I think he, gosh, he so deserves it after all that's happened. But... That had to take a lot out of him the end of last year, just the emotional aspect of it. But then I thought that the year before, too, when he Davis Cup run and all that would be the same. But I think at some point, yeah, it does wear you down a little bit. And um, he also played a really unusual player here. But it's true. I think, you know, the game of tennis and Roddick said this. I talked to Andy Roddick the other day, and, and he was saying, you know what? You just Anybody who starts projecting too far ahead in tennis, I get very skeptical. It looks like Djokovic is going to go on for years, and you start counting up the slams he's going to win over two years. You just can't do that. Too much changes, and the pressure week to week is just too much. It sure is. Final word on Andy Roddick. It was nice to see him here today, wasn't it, and getting recognized like that. He is one of the all-time great press conference givers, isn't he? He's fantastic. No, it was great to see him. I had the, you know, the privilege of talking to him the other day, kind of ahead of the news. Um, I covered Andy from his beginning to the end of his career, and uh, he's just so quick. And still very incisive in terms of how he, you know, analyzes the game, and he's this great mix of sort of coming at you with his cockiness in a way, but yet he has a very clear vision of his place in the game. Very humble about being elected into the Hall of Fame, and knows where he stands. And so it was a real pleasure to catch up with him. Yeah, there was one moment I, I interviewed him today earlier for BBC Radio Five Live, and you know it was somebody I, I've known for many years and always gone along pretty well with most of the time, and interviews going very nicely and then halfway through I ask I phrase one question really poorly and I see the I see the eye roll while I'm asking it right and I'm thinking I'm in trouble here and he actually let me off the hook but you know he 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 can put you away can't he he can I think that's part of his DNA obviously the younger brother thing right I can only imagine the erotic dinner table back in the day right must have been flying around between uh, between courses no I dare say Chris Clary from the New York Times always a pleasure to have you with us pleasure to be here david and uh we will be back with another tennis podcast and Catherine whitaker i didn't mean it we love having her on really we'll be back tomorrow see you soon mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.